where I'm from. You're going to get a bit of a Welsh tourist board moment now. Just, just run with it. Um, it means Red Ridge in English. And it's the trickiest route up Snowdon. Um, and it's an erect. It's a bit of a geography lesson now. It's a narrow ridge of rock between two parallel valleys, which were formed by glaciers, which came down. And if you walk Cribgorch, um, you've, got to stay on the, you've got to stay on the ridge. You have to stay on the ridge. Because either side are big drops, uh, about 200 feet um, plus. Um, if you fall, your chances aren't good. And there are sadly fatalities each year. And um, there's three main reasons why people fall off the ridge. Um, so the first one's losing concentration. So what they're doing is they're kind of looking around and not paying attention to where their feet are. The second one is sometimes you'll see people uh, kind of clinging to the rocks like this, and you think, why are you up here? And you have to go around them, and you're slightly worried that they're going to grab hold of you, and all that sort of stuff. So people, and the other is just going from really dodgy weather conditions, so wind and ice. But if you do it successfully, it is stunning. Okay, it comes to Welsh, you know, Welsh you're going to get this now. It is stunning, guys. You've got this amazing horseshoe called um, Snowden Horseshoe. And down far below, you've got this ribbon lake called Llindlidau. You can just make it out there. And on a sunny day, you can make our island as well. And of course, you get this great sense of achievement that you didn't go up on the train, but you actually walked it properly. Um, I want us all to just kind of keep that picture in our heads today, because if you're a follower of Jesus, um, you are walking a ridge, whether you know it or not. And if you don't know you're walking the ridge, you're probably not doing it quite as successfully as you could be doing it. You know, as followers of the way, we are called to follow Jesus and the example he set. And I'm just going to focus on one verse, and actually the end of it. So it's John 1, it's verse 14, which says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is a paradox. So I, I looked up a paradox in the Oxford Dictionary, and classic Oxford Dictionary, you need a degree from Oxford to actually understand that. But here's what they came up with. Ready? Deep breath. A seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition, which when investigated, may prove to be well-founded or true. In other words, two things which appear to be opposite, but when you actually bother to look into it, they're both saying truth. And we have loads of paradoxes in um, literature. So we've got Hamlet, who goes, I must be cruel only to be kind. And sometimes we have to show tough love, don't we? Perhaps to our children. Not the way Hamlet did. But, you know, maybe we need to go, no, you can't have that fifth cake and stuff like that. Um, the second one is George Orwell. The pigs write in animal, uh, the pigs say in Animal Farm. They go, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. You know, justice is blindfolded in this country, isn't it? Um, she's blindfolded with the scales. But we know statistics say a different thing. As a white, middle-class, educated man, I know it's stacked in my favor. William Wordsworth writes, The child is father to the man. What happens to the child will have a big effect on who we grow up to be. And the Bible has loads of these paradoxes. In fact, I'd go as far to say that virtually every major theology, um, theology stance in the Bible has a paradox in it. Great question to ask people is, who's living your Christian life? And you go, me. And you think, hmm. 
Or you go, God. And you go, hmm. Who wrote Romans? Paul or God? Did you choose God? Did God choose you? We worship a a never-changing, consistent God who can be completely unpredictable. Jesus, fully human, yet fully God. Jesus, full of grace, but also full of truth. And I'm called to do that. Full of grace and be full of truth. And yet we cannot resolve these paradoxes this side of eternity. So Paul writes a kind of very well-known passage in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. One of my favorite verses, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them. But we are, uh, we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us. You know, our brains are like red cauliflowers. Apparently, um, I shared this before at Sanctuary. Didn't go down great, I'm not sure. But apparently our brains smell like blue cheese. I just thought I'd share that. But um, it hasn't got much to do with story. I just thought it was really interesting. But, um, I, you know, my brain is this big red cauliflower and smells of blue cheese. How can I possibly grasp everything about Almighty God? You know, Job had a go in the Bible. That went well, didn't it? He had a go, and he asked all these questions at God, and God doesn't answer them. Basically, what God says is, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answer? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you. And God lets rip for two chapters. doesn't answer Job's questions. He says, were you around when I made the foundations of the earth? And all these rhetorical questions. I cannot, I cannot harmonize these paradoxes. But I cannot deny them either. These paradoxes are tensions to be managed. They're not problems to be solved. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't ponder them, investigate them, study them. You see, unlike Jesus, who's this perfect balance, this paradox between truth and grace, we're not. (laughs) We're not, are we? Got to be honest. Truth in accordance with fact or reality, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. When we walk this ridge, what we do is we go one way or the other. We have a natural propensity to either lean towards truth and forget the grace, or we lean towards grace and forget the tr- truth. Did I say the same one twice then? I might have. You know what I mean. So the first, my first question for you is, what? Which one are you? What sort of Christian are you? Are you a truth-leaning Christian and you forget the grace? Or are you a grace-leaning one and you forget the truth? And this is a really important bit, because if someone else is doing a sort of talk and I'm there, I start thinking, well, I know what they are, and I start looking around. Or even worse, it's come in my mind before, where I said, I hope they're paying attention to this bit. Or, <laughs> or even worse, what a shame they've missed this talk. It's so obviously about them. This is about us, guys, okay? So let's, let's think for ourselves, Okay. And I'm telling by the laughter, it's not just me that does that. Please. So, um, these are really, really broad strokes. Don't take offense at this now, okay? Really broad strokes about whether you're heavy on truth, light on grace, or heavy on grace, light on truth. So, it's really, really small, okay? I'm really sorry the projector's gone, but I'll just nip through it. So, first of all, if you are heavy on truth, light on grace, 
you probably love theology. And you absolutely love, 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 love doctrine. You really like that, the application of theology. You might well belong to the kind of reform kind of um, tradition of like Calvinism. That sort of, that sort of, you'll lean that way, black and white, right or wrong. You do not like shades of grey. You are absolute truth seekers. You feel very uncomfy in shades of grey. You're desperate to get out of there. And if you can use a liberal word, it will come out very quickly. You might, you might be quick to judge. Maybe slow to, slow to forgive. You might not be so keen on community, but in-depth Bible study, you're absolutely loving it. You might be impatient with people who know less about following God than you do. You might. And you can spot a sin in someone else a mile off. If your children stop following Christ, it might, might, because they, they see following Jesus as being judgmental. Or, to offend the other half of you, you might be heavy on grace, but truth takes a back seat. You're going to put great emphasis on God is love and forgiveness, but we won't really talk about judgment. You might well make tough decisions on feelings or hope, not truth. You probably love sung worship, but you're not so keen on theology because you see that as divisive. And you've probably come across your share, fair share of judgmental, legalistic Christians, and you're desperate not to be like them. You might be happy for people to keep on sinning in your desire to love them. So the bar is lowered. You will continually mix up acceptance and agreement. They are not the same. And if your children stop following Christ, it might be, might be because you don't want to come across as too strict. You don't want to confront under the guise of not wanting to be judgmental. And heavy on grace, light on truth, Christians, they want to be liked. They want to be liked. If you're still thinking, I'm not sure which one I am, or my neighbor, no, we're not doing that. Then if we look at John 8, 3 to, 3, um, to, uh, to 11. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made a stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using his question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the old ones first, until only Jesus was left, with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. If you are a grace-leaning Christian, you have loved that story. You are begging me to stop there. Stop there. No more. I once went to a talk where someone actually did stop there. If you're a truth-leaning Christian now who knows the Bible, you're now leaning forward on your pew, saying, if he doesn't finish this story, I'm going to have a chat with him later. Let's pull you out of your misery. Jesus then does a truth pit at the end. Happy? There it goes. Go now and leave your life of sin. 
Of course, truth-leaning Christians would love to take out the bit before, but it's really awkward to take a sa- Bible sandwich out. You know, you're really on dodgy theology ground when you do that. If you're still stuck, which one you are, and you've got a sibling, and you were blessed with two parents when you were um, a child, if you did something wrong and you knew you were going to get found out, for a preemptive strike, you would hammer off to the grace-leaning parent every time, wouldn't you? You just know which parent to go to. Bang, you go. But if your sibling did something wrong, you would go to your truth-leaning parent and tell them all about it. Have a look at the scale. Jesus is right, if you can see it, Jesus is right in the middle. He is grace and truth. You'll notice on the left-hand side, far left, is grace, but it's in inverted commas. And on the far right-hand side is truth, and that's in inverted commas. My aim in this talk is to slightly, to bump all of us, myself included, just slightly more onto that ridge. You see, Jesus was full of truth and grace. He wasn't 50-50. Jesus never dumbed down the truth. But he never dialed down the grace either. The issue is, if we lean too heavily on one of them, it stops becoming that. If we just talk about, as Christians, we just talk about truth, and we don't talk about grace, we cripple people. It stops being truth. If we just talk, as Christians, about grace, without truth, we deceive people. And it stops being grace. You see, when I just talk about truth and I ignore grace, or when I just talk about grace and ignore truth, I am not giving a warped gospel a warped good news. I am giving a false gospel. We're called to be a people of truth. Here's what John John the Apostle says in 3 John 1. He goes, I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. That's what gave John, one of the inner circle disciples, the most kind of joy to hear people following the truth. This is what Paul says He's talking about Satan. Let's remember who Satan is. He's the enemy. He's the father of lies. It's where the lies come from. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, He, Satan, will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on the way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. Jesus says, um, uh, quoting John 14, really challenging first seven um, words, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask a father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. We often forget about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us leads us into truth. We must be full of truth. Grace-leaning people, Christians, will find this difficult you're grace-leaning, you're going to find the next paragraph tricky, but don't worry, it's going to go the other way in a minute. Jesus said, I'm the only way. He goes, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We choose to believe it, or we say no. Grace-leaning Christians will find it difficult when Jesus talks about judgment and hell more than any other person in the Bible. Grace-leaning Christians will, I'm going to say the word again now, ready? Grace-leaning Christians will find it difficult that there's rules about sex in the Bible. 
And we might find drunkenness or pride or gossip or complaining, socially accepted sins, but God doesn't. We are called to be a people of truth. We're also called to be people of grace. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Paul writes in Colossians 4, Let your conversations be gracious and attractive. Didn't Jesus show grace of who he hung around with? Matthew 11, The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. We must be full of grace too. And truth-leaning Christians will find that difficult. We are called to treat people with love even when we fundamentally disagree with them. Even when other Christians we fundamentally disagree with them. Truth-leaning Christians will often be surprised that non-Christians don't want to hang around with them. They're seen as legalistic, dogmatic, judgmental, and, ready for it, boring. (laughs) This is what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 3, 4. They crush people with their unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Isn't it paradoxical that the people who sinned the most explicitly were the people who were most desperate to hang around with Jesus? How can we be full of grace and truth? How can you and I, and as a church, walk that ridge? Because it is difficult. It is difficult. R. Alcorn talks about a time. He, re- he said a sermon in church, and, the ch- and um, in America, so obviously quite a volatile subject, and he talked about abortion in a sermon, taking a pro-life stance. The next day, he heard that a significant number of pro-choice protesters were going to protest outside his church the following Sunday. So that's what he does. He gets someone else to serve his lead. He gets somebody else to give the sermon. And on Sunday morning, early in the morning, he goes out of a rickety table. Hot chocolates, donuts. So when the protesters come, he gives them donuts and hot chocolates. The next day, he finds out that a lot of truth-leaning Christians perhaps short on the grace, don't like what he's done. So they're going to come and protest outside the church the following Monday, the following Sunday. So the next Sunday, he's outside the church. Someone else is giving a talk. Someone else is doing the service lead. He's with a table giving out donuts and hot chocolates to two very angry group of protesters, and he is sandwiched in the middle. And he says, in 30 years of ministry, that's when he said, I think I was walking the line then. And it was difficult. And that is an important point. When we walk the line, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Do you know, sometimes you can say truth with absolute grace, and you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to say something, and you will offend people, even when you've done truth and grace. I think sometimes we do that, and we suddenly think, I did it wrong. We will offend people sometimes, even in complete grace. Jesus was full of both, and he was crucified at the end. Well, not the end, sorry. (laughs) Pitfalls. Where where can we go wrong? If you think think about 
Thankfully, no one broke their ankle earlier. But the things which I chucked at people, uh, uh, the children, like the ice cubes and stuff like that, that's where we can go wrong. You see, the first point is people can die on Crib Gorch because they're not paying attention. They're daydreaming a bit. In the same way, we need to be intentional when walking this ridge between grace and truth because we can slip off. Get in the habit of reflecting on the conversations you have, both with Christians and with non-Christians. Ask yourself, was I full of truth and grace in that conversation, or did I start veering off one way? Be intentional. Pray. Prepare yourself. Don't cherry-pick the parts of the Bible. Okay? We can all get a load of truth verses or a load of grace verses. Don't cherry-pick the Bible to excuse yourself for being halfway down the cliff. And we cannot ignore truth in the Bible just because we find it unpalatable. As well as being intentional, the second reason is people in the way. People. People can knock us off course. We want to be careful who we surround ourselves with. If you are a truth-leaning Christian, you will naturally gravitate towards truth-leaning Christians. And have a moan. If you are a grace-leaning Christian, you will naturally gravitate towards grace-leaning Christians and start saying, isn't God love? God's love, God's love, and keep repeating it, which he is. With our non-Christian friends, we need to form good relationships, and that takes time. And pray. Ask for wisdom when to say something and when not to. Be intentional. Be aware of people. But thirdly, Many people die in Crib Gork. Probably the main reason is because of the weather conditions. So the ice and the wind. We want to be careful about the prevailing culture and be aware of it. We're called to be savvy, to think these things through. We need to think of a prevailing culture and our own predispositions. You'll notice that in John 1.14, um, grace comes first in the list. It's grace and truth. Many theologians think the reason why that is is because grace was a more shocking for Jewish ears, to hear about a God of grace was completely shocking. In our postmodernist world, which questions the very concept of truth, I wonder if truth is more shocking now. What you do in Crib Gork or anywhere, when the wind's coming in, you lean into it, don't you? We do it naturally. The wind's buffeting me, and I lean in that way. That's what we need to do. We need to lean in to the one we find trickier. If you're a truth-leaning Christian, lean into grace. If you're a grace-leaning Christian, lean into truth. If a Christian friend makes a bad decision, and we do, the truth-leaning person, maybe, just maybe, put your arm around them rather than chuck a load of Bible verses at them. The grace-leaning Christian whose friend makes a bad decision, maybe, instead of saying everything's okay and God loves them, Maybe ask, how can I support you so we don't make this mistake again? Truth-leaning people, people, truth-leaning Christians, we lose our voice when we forget about grace. So lean into grace, lead with it, but don't let go of truth. Think before you answer a question. What I say Will it be full of grace? Be hard to hate by the way you treat people. 
grace people. Your kindness may be unintentionally damaging people. Speak truth. When you're silent, it will be interpreted as agreement. Ask yourself, with God's help, how can I kindly, with grace, challenge this person or idea? Finally, church is a body. We've got overseers, we've got teachers, we've got evangelists, we've got everything. We should have. That doesn't mean we have 50% grace and 50% truth people. We are both, we are all called to be full of both. You know, a church, if we were all full of grace-leaning Christians, everyone in the community is going to love us. Everyone's going to love us. But we won't be giving a Christian message. If we're all truth-leaning, everyone's going to loathe us out there. We still won't be giving a Christian message. I'm hoping we come to this church because we want grace and truth, not to feel comfy or something. You know, walking the ridge between the two is very, very difficult. But it is what we're called to do. To the best of our ability and with God's help. We tell people about the truth. But we're there with love and plasters and ice cream when they mess up. Because isn't that what we want when we do? Our Alcorn writes, The grace and truth paradox is also a paradigm, um, a way of looking at life. People need the directions of truth to know where to go. Then they need the empowerment of grace to help them get there. We show people Jesus only when we show them grace and truth. Anything less than than both is neither. May we intentionally walk that ridge of truth and grace for God's glory and for our good. Let's just pray. In the words of Paul, let our conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer everyone. We thank you, Jesus, for your wonderful, perfect example of grace and truth, that you never lowered the bar and you never dialed back the grace and we individually but also as a church we want to follow you Jesus on this ridge full of truth and grace so that we might be salt and light to everyone we come in contact with our families friends work colleagues communities may each one of us more intentionally walk this ridge for your glory and our good amen